Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcripts can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What's up? I'm Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast powered by Twisted Tea. It is our Sunday SEC football conversation with Weldon Rodenberg. We talked about the Rebels' thrilling 38-35 to win over Texas A&M from Trey Harris's ridiculous day to Jackson Dart's performance in the two biggest games of the season to the A&M defense and what it all means for Ole Miss going forward as they now have a puncher's shot to go upset Georgia in Athens the next weekend to set up what would be a ridiculously crazy rest of the regular season, where to put it all in context in the history of the Ole Miss program, and a whole lot more. Then, of course, we took a look around the SEC and had a very brief, fastest-growing segment on American soil, Soccer Corner, at the end. So, buckle up. I really think you'll enjoy the show. Before we get to that, though, I want to take one quick break to remind you. This podcast is brought to you by Seaspire. Time to upgrade your home internet to the best service in the market with Seaspire Home Fiber. The past few years have proven how important it is to have reliable home internet connection for you and your family. That's why Seaspire Home provides the most reliable internet service with 99.99% uptime. Seaspire also prides themselves with best customer service in the home internet market. Their customer service is award-winning, local, based out of the Southeast with industry low call wait time. Seaspire provides one gigabit and 300 megabit internet packages to homes across Mississippi, Birmingham, and Southern Alabama regions. Seaspire is also proud to announce the release of their brand new two gigabit and eight gigabit home internet plans. Save yourself the hassle by not waiting for your internet connection to drop with the other guys. Call or go online to cspire.com slash home today and use promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E, and you'll get one month of free service. So you get a free month of internet service and the best internet service in the market just for listening to this podcast. How about that? Check them out. Seaspire, customer inspired. This podcast is also brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website. The inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, the advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. You got a month left of football season, college football season, regular season, that is. Maybe you're behind. Use Skybox. They're the professionals. They hit and make money every single year. Don't get into a hole by going off your own leads 15 minutes before kickoff. Go sign up for Skybox. They're the professionals. It's all based off math. Go online, skyboxsportspicks.com. You can try a picks package a day, a week, a month. You got college basketball starting on Monday night. That is their bread and butter. They absolutely crush it in college basketball every year. You can try sports-specific. You can go all sports. I recommend going the year-long all-access pass. It'll pay for itself and then some. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com, the best sports handicappers in the world. You sign up, you get a color-coded spreadsheet categorized by unit, and boom, you're more equipped to profit than you were before signing up for Skybox. Go online today, get your picks package, use the promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E. That'll get you 20% off any purchase. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. All right, here's Weldon on the win over AM on Saturday. All right, we now welcome on former Ole Miss recruiting specialist, Rippy Wright's football correspondent, Weldon Rodenberg. A lot to discuss. Ole Miss beats Texas A&M 38-35 to in an absolute thriller. Really the second of its kind this year in Vaught-Hemingway Stadium. 20-2 uh, and in the last 22 home games dating back to November of the COVID year. Uh, my general takeaway after this game uh, from talking to people, just walking back to the Grove and all that, I was there was just, I guess they just kind of win these games now. It almost become becoming like prophetic. They don't lose at home very often. And with this, with the case with this particular team, every time they get in a bad spot, they immediately answer. Kiffin talked about some of that after the game, but it's just kind of mesmerizing to watch unfold week after week. It really is. Uh, I, at his press conference after the game, I watched it just a few minutes ago, talking about them going down with four minutes left. Like there was no doubt in their minds that they were going to score. 
And it was really just a matter of not scoring too quick. And, of course, he made some funny jokes about Jackson not being too positive after the fact. Um, and, no, it's awesome. They are incredibly resilient. I think I saw somewhere on Twitter this is like the fourth game this season they've been down in the fourth quarter that they've won. Uh, wow. They just don't stop. Uh, they just don't care. They just keep moving forward. They do exactly what they need to do. Uh, it's really, really impressive. And it's a really big testament to Kiffin, to Dart, into the defense as well. I know they didn't have their best day, but they've just found ways to make plays down the stretch that really changed these games. Uh, it's just an all-around effort with the exception of one special teams play <laughs> um, that came out, uh, that got them to come out victorious in this. And it was awesome. It looked The atmosphere looked great. Um, I mean, you were there. I'm sure you have some comments on that, but uh, it's a, just a massive, massive, massive win. Yeah, it was a great atmosphere. They filled that place up uh, a little. Some of it was late filling. Uh, I think it maybe had been a while since the uh, the Ole Miss crowd had done an 11 a.m. game. Kind of typical late filing. Hell, I made kickoff by five minutes and I left my house thinking I was going to get there. No problem. So uh, I was probably guilty of that as well. But it filled up nicely. A&M didn't look like it brought a ton of people, but it was an electric environment. And, you know, we talk about the sleepy 11 a.m. games and Kiffin spending two years trying to get people to come to the games and stay and all that. Some of the student section looked like they decided to hit the square after halftime. Maybe it was hot. I don't really know. But outside of that, it was a uh, it was a great environment, and uh, it's 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 a testament to where they are as a program. I did look on. The, I didn't do the post game show last night. Chase just never called. I don't really know if I missed <laughs> the call or what what happened, but uh, I didn't do it. But I was looking on the board this morning. And I did see someone was asking if Jeffrey and or I were still asking if this team was good. Um, I don't necessarily know where that came from. Maybe we haven't given them the proper credit. I think that probably comes from, you know, they win the LSU game. We give them a ton of credit for being resilient. Arkansas kind of becomes a slog. And then you enter the bye week. And it's like, this team's a hell of a lot of fun. Um, you know, how good are they was maybe the question. Maybe we didn't frame it as well. But look, if you're eight and one with three games to go, you've won a couple of SEC West Road games. You just like don't lose at home. Your team is good. I, I guess I should just yeah. clear the air on that. This is a very, very good football team that has gotten healthier and better as the year has gone on. So, uh, yeah, chalk them up to the good category. I didn't know that needed to be said at this point, but I guess I'm just throwing that out there now to make it clear. Um, they are absolutely a good football team. And I'm, I'm glad you finally admitted that. That's very, <laughs> very big of you to do, to do so. Um, it's a tough one to get off my chest, I guess. Look, they, they're good in all three phases, and they are just a few plays away from being great. Um, and you going back to the last three games, if they were able to punch it in against Arkansas to go up 31 to 20, like that's what great teams do. Uh, when it's 14-7 against Auburn on the road and Dart throws that ball behind Franklin for an interception, it changes the game. Like, a great team just catches it, goes down 21-7, the game's over. And then this game, you, you just can't give up a blocked field goal. And, I mean, look, I'm with everybody. The holding call was terrible. I get it. Totally understand it. It is what it is. It got called. You have, you have to make up for it some way, shape, or form. Um, and having that play, like that's just one of those plays that's keeping them from being a great football team. Because if that game is 17-0, 21-0, you're on quit watch really, really quickly with AM. Uh, they were able to grab momentum from that uh, without having their offense have to go all the way down the field to score, which they looked like they were just not going to be able to do um, yesterday. So, look, they're, they're a very good football team. Uh, they're going to have a really big test to show how good they are this upcoming week. 
Uh, but like I said, they're just a few plays, legitimately one, two, three plays away from showing that they can be a great football team. Yeah, I think that's a great way to put it. And this was a weird game in terms of the twist and turns it had to it. You mentioned uh, A&M being on quit watch. If Ole Miss can go up 21 nothing. You get the phantom hold there, and then the rest of that possession just becomes weird because then you get another penalty, and it becomes first and 30. And then all of a sudden you're thinking, okay, like, you know, three plays prior, it's like this is for sure going to be 17 nothing. It maybe becomes 21 nothing, and then you're like, does this A&M team, nothing's gone right for them for the first 18 minutes of the game. Do they roll over? And then it just flips on its head in one play. I mean, Kiffin mentioned it and put it pretty succinctly. You know, it's not often you have a 10-point swing on a single play in college football, and it happens. The holding sucked, but, yeah, you can't really have that happen. But it does, and it changes the game. Uh, I believe the guy who blocked it, uh, Shamar Turner, was Mr. Nutshot himself, so he just made an impact in all kinds of areas in this one. But all of a sudden, it's weird. You know, I'm sitting there thinking in that game, after that happens and they take it to the house, I I knew after about five steps he was probably taking it to the house. With respect to our guy Charlie Pollock and Caden Davis, I did not like their chances of him running him down. But it was like, oh, God, this is going to be one of those weird ones because you're sitting there looking at it. And if I believe I have this correctly, at the time, it's 14 to 7. Ole Miss has the ball in its own 25. They're only up seven points. But they'd had 12 first downs in the game, and A&M had had three. And it's like, now this is a weirdly crucial possession. But to Ole Miss's credit, they answered immediately. They go back down and they score a touchdown. You have the weird play with uh, – uh, Watkins that they answer, but that's kind of what this team has done time after time. You mentioned, you know, I, why are they, you mentioned why they weren't necessarily a great team yet being one or two plays away or a handful of plays away from that. One of the reasons they are a good and a very good team is the way they respond when something bad happens, whether it's the fourth quarter drive or really, I thought that one after the blocked field goal was very crucial as well. Because if you go three and out there and AM kind of starts getting their running game settling in, you could go into halftime trailing with the way the end of the first oh, yeah. half went out. But responding and marching it right down the field, I thought was a huge moment in that game. It absolutely was. It was it was the one moment where I was like, look, I don't know what's going to happen in this game, but but Ole Miss is going to win. Uh, being able to kind of get up off the mat after just an incredible play by AM there uh, to make it a game and then just being like, nope, we're good here. We're going to go down and score. Um, they get the personal foul, which for whatever reason, ESPN just refused to show any of the personal fouls throughout the game. Um, they didn't show that one in the end zone. They didn't show the nut shot until it got on Twitter. Um, really odd, like very, very odd that they didn't do that. But this team's just resilient. I, I really do think it goes back to the LSU game, that first game where they were finally healthy and it all came together. And I think during that game, that offense sh- like proved to themselves that they can score on any drive that they want to. Um, and look, you know, you're not going to be perfect throughout every single game. And AM is obviously incredibly talented defensively, but they had a fantastic game plan and they used it effectively when they needed to. Weiss and Lane, Lane were great um, going up against this team. And they always have been. And they've been really, really good, with the exception of Alabama for, for obvious or whatever reasons, of coming up with game plans that perfectly fit the team that they're playing against. And today, a lot of it was just going outside of one-on-one matchups and then smashing it with tempo inside zone to Judkins. And over and over again, it worked uh, to almost perfection. I mean, putting up 38 points on this team is nothing to scoff at. Uh, and they're just confident. That's the thing that, you know, just strikes me the most. And on both sides of the ball, really, they just have played with so much confidence uh, that it's just hard to believe that in these kind of coin flip games, if you get this team in the fourth quarter 
you just feel like they're going to win no matter what. And at the end of the day, they did that against A&M again. Yeah, and they 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 respond immediately and purposefully too. I mean, I think the drive after the blocked uh, PAT it was only four plays, and then yeah. uh, the drive to end the game was what only six or seven. I can't remember the exact number, but they knew they were going to score. Jackson Dart, as you said a second ago, their biggest worry was if they scored too quickly or not. And it just like you mentioned, the confidence they play with that post LSU game of just like hey, good things are going to happen, even though bad things have happened before, is the sign of a good team, a team that likes each other, and a very mature team. That's another element of this game that I'm not sure I say doesn't get enough credit or talked about. We're just recapping the game for the first time. But like it was surprising to me how chippy it was and how Ole Miss reacted to that in a positive way. Like on the nut shot play that ESPN refused to show. I don't know if they showed the this part of it on camera. I think they did because I watched the game again this morning. But like you see Dart sees what happens. It seems like he yeah. kind of either a couple other people saw it or he notified him and saw what happens. They know he's probably getting ejected and they spend just kind of five minutes, you know, rallying up the crowd. They were very into it from an energy standpoint. It seemed like they fed off of the, I didn't even see the social media stuff going into the week, whatever the Instagram post that all the AM players kept commenting under. I missed that until after the fact. But I mean, yeah. Dart even just kind of stuck a dagger in his post-game press conference. He said, I guess they're not getting enough attention with the games that they're losing when asked about the social media oh things afterward. And he just very kind of casually said it. But I just thought this team responded to that in a positive way. They didn't do anything dumb. They didn't let it get the better of them and them turn their heads and get personal fouls. They just kind of used it to fuel them. And after a tough start to the game, particularly on the offensive line, Dart mentioned they were kind of fueled by whatever the social media happenings were. And they ended up playing a pretty damn good football game. And I thought that was another interesting aspect of just how well they fed off of the chippiness and kind of the chirping that was going on. Because A&M did not handle it as well. No, not at all. And honestly, one of the most underrated part about some of these Lane Kiffin teams is that they've really been pretty impressively disciplined. Um, they get a lot of penalties, but they, they struggle with holding on the offensive line. That's like where they're getting 90% of their penalty yardage is in holding. Um, but personal fouls, doing stupid shit, like maybe they miss an assignment, but you just don't feel like this team is ever undisciplined. And they were able to completely get under AM skin, um, whether that kind of came from what was happening earlier in the week online or what for Kiffin was saying or Jimbo or whatever it was. They were just not phased by it. Like they were completely focused on the task at hand. This game was so much more important for Ole Miss than it was for AM that like they had to have this mentality. It kind of felt like some of those Mississippi State games where, like, those games were incredibly important for Ole Miss in certain stances. And they were for Mississippi State, too, but it always felt like Mississippi State was playing to get into Ole Miss's head, whereas, like, Ole Miss was just like, we're just going to come here and win the game and do what we need to do. And that's exactly what they did today. Um, A&M is just you – know, they were playing spoiler, basically. And those guys, you know, it, it just was not a fit for them at all. Um, but they did some good things, uh, A&M, like just scheme wise. And, it, you know, they came out in the second half and really put some pressure on Ole Miss. But like we said, it just never really felt like it was going to matter. No, it didn't until the fourth quarter when they go up 35-31 and then A&M, all of a sudden you're like, Ole Miss has four and a half minutes left. They're down four points in this game. And I, I was kind of wondering how it happened. I thought A&M had played pretty well offensively. They got off to a pretty terrible start, but then they kind of settled into the game. But it was just crazy to me that all that had happened and it felt like Ole Miss had, I don't know if dominated the game's the right word, but it certainly played a much better football game than to be down four in your own stadium with four and a half minutes left. And then they just kind of methodically 
move the ball down the field and adding on to what we were talking about earlier, the team having confidence and playing what you know, feeding off each other and, you know, feeding off their own guy, getting kicked in the nuts, I guess it would be one example of that. Yeah. But Jackson in, in, in both lane talked about after the game that he just felt like it was almost prophetic and they knew they were going to go down and score. And that's pretty rare. Like a lot of teams can say stuff like that, but you don't really get the opportunity to say stuff like that after the fact, usually unless you've already done it. And it seems genuine in their belief that they were going to go down and score and win the football game. And, you know, that that's pretty rare. And it stems from, I guess, a confidence uh, in themselves and collectively as well. But them going down and scoring that quickly was just another impressive aspect of this offense that we've seen time and time again this year. It hasn't been a perfect offense, but man, no. when they've needed plays, they come up with them more often than not. They were just so methodical in the way that they handled that four minute drill. And it, it's a lot of credit to Lane and Charlie. Obviously, you do a lot of two-minute and four-minute throughout spring and fall and during practice in the week. Uh, it's a massively important offensive situation for exactly this, you know, particular, with lack of a better word, situation. Um, and, and they executed to perfection. And, look, they got a little help. They got a little lucky. You have to be have that sometimes. You know, dark gets hit, ball's floating in the air, doesn't come down. And then another play, he gets hit, ball's floating in the air, and the AM guy just tackles Dayton Wade because he didn't know where the ball was. Um, you have, I mean, there's context to everything. But at the end of the day, it was just players making plays consistently. And, like, you know, for the fourth, fifth time, whatever we're going to say, it just never felt like they were going to lose this football game. Different than other ones. And, you know, all day after I was at a wedding in Tampa with a bunch of Ole Miss people, and we were all saying the exact same thing. Like th this team just doesn't like to take care of business. You know, they're, they're like an anxiety attack every Saturday. And that doesn't mean they're not a good football team. Just for whatever reason, you know, they just love a little adversity. And they, they gave it to themselves in this game, whereas other times maybe the other team actually did something. Um, and it doesn't matter because they won the game. And I thought Chase had a really good point in the postgame show. I've listened to the whole thing. But – this is always like the game, the game before the game is the one Ole Miss loses to like kind of take so much steam or air out of the next matchup. I remember freshman year, the most obvious one being um, going to Baton Rouge and losing 10-7 before playing Auburn, which that would have been a one versus three matchup. And then, of course, it was still a three versus four, but it was like now this is an elimination game instead yeah. of like a take it all kind of game. And uh, I think, what was it, the Memphis game or the Arkansas game before the LSU game in 15? It was like, this could be for the West, and now it's kind of for a bowl game. And now they've set up a game that, you know, my Ole Miss history, I need to brush up on a little bit, but it has a chance to be one of the biggest games in program history. And unfortunately, we have a stupid fucking 14 playoff, and it's not going to feel as big as it should. But at the end of the day, like they have everything in front of them to play for, to put pressure on any and everybody else in the country to keep winning. Uh, it's going to be a massive game and a massive opportunity, but uh, just getting through this one was just incredibly important. Yeah, it was. And then I can't believe we've gotten, you know, this far into the podcast and talked about, you know, the biggest difference offensively. My God, um, they just could not guard Ole Miss on the perimeter and what I really mean by that they couldn't guard Trey Harris the guy was the difference in this game he catches 11 balls for 213 yards targeted 15 times an average of 19.4 yards of reception he was unbelievable in this game Ole Miss needed every bit of it but it was it was one of the most incredible wide receiver performances I've seen from an Ole Miss receiver in recent memory I know Elijah Moore had some nutty ones in the COVID year but that whole thing just kind of felt it, weird it, it was 
unbelievable. They had no answer for him. And you could tell from really the very first series, the very first play of the game, they targeted and they saw that A&M brought two safeties down. There was one-on-one coverage on the right side, and they just went directly to him. And it was the difference in the game. They had no answer for him, and he was a machine. Hell, even the balls that, you know, a couple of the targets that didn't come down to the completions, he caught one or two of them. He just didn't couldn't get the feed inbounds. It was, it was an incredible performance by a guy that's emerged as a true number one threat for Ole Miss. He was unbelievable. He was uh, like 2014 primetime Laquan Treadbull out there. I mean, that's exactly what he – I mean, he honestly, even a little bit faster than Quan might have been. Uh, he, he was just sensational. You can't say anything more about it. He is such a complete wide receiver. He's a fantastic blocker on the outside. His balance and body control, similar to Dayton Wade, is incredible for a guy his size. He does – He's fantastic on catching these five-yard hitch, spinning outside, breaking a tackle, and making a five-yard play a 20-yard play. He's done it 10 times this season where the DB is just expecting him to kind of settle in, and he just explodes out. Um, he goes inside. He goes outside. He he was just perfect. And he can't be perfect unless Dart is as good as he was yesterday as well. And there's always – you know, a, a tango, a two takes you to tango situation with quarterback and wide receiver. And Dart had his best, and I'm not taking it away from Harris. This was his best slant throwing game he's ever had at Ole Miss. It's the one thing we've always seen with Dart where it's throwing these slants that are always open. It's like he's either behind him or in front of him or gets tipped or whatever. But Harris was just dusting his guy, Watkins dusting their guys, and Dart's just putting it on their chest. And it's a credit to everybody in this offense being fully healthy to be able to show what they can do. And Harris is just like a the biggest point of that is how good he has been. Yeah, and I knew that he was a big part of the offense from the time the two-lane injury happened, where the way he played the first week, the way he played, played early in that two-lane game, and then the way the offense changed without him. Um, but I guess I hadn't just given enough credence to what a – a mismatch he is from going to getting and high pointing the football. And just honestly, if you put him in single coverage now and you throw it in his general vicinity, I mean, there was a throw or two dart had that was a little bit behind him and he caught it anyway, where a good throw, who knows it may have turned into a touchdown, but just his ability in single coverage, if you're not double teaming him, or at least there's not some safety help over the top to just win one-on-one matchups as the ball is remotely close to him is was remarkable to me. And I don't feel like that's been talked about enough throughout the course of the year. And it was certainly on display on Saturday. Absolutely was. When you watched his highlights from Louisiana Tech, like the first three or four that they'd show once he committed to all this was like insane one-handed grab on the sideline, you know, just mossing people left and right. You're like, man, if this translate, like he's got a really good chance to be a good player. And a lot of the you know stuff coming out of fall and spring was like, this guy's a real dude. Like he has a chance to be like one of the most important players on this team. And when he's been healthy, that's just absolutely been the case. And those one-to-one, you know, transfers, it doesn't always work out that way. You don't always get the same sort of uh, play that you get at a smaller group of five school when you come up. It, it doesn't always translate like that. But for whatever reason, for him, and obviously the way Dart's been playing, it's just been a perfect connection. Was that close to catch of the year, the one he had down the far sideline where he basically OBJ'd it? It was it didn't get enough has to be. It didn't get enough run initially on the television broadcast because they didn't, I guess, see like the full angle of the catch. I guess they were a little bit preoccupied with the pass interference call or whatever was going on. Right. Flag. Man, was it a flag happy game? Uh <laughs> that's up there with one of the best catches I've ever seen. 
it was unbelievable. And considering all the contact he had to go through, just to be able to then point the ball and then grab it with one hand, I mean, it's just insane. It was honestly the catch he had in the back of the end zone on that same drive that they didn't convert on that third down was like just as good. He was out of bounds. I mean, he was just on fire during this game. He was unguardable. Uh, it's been one of AM's biggest weaknesses on that defense. Like everyone talked about the front seven and in the back end, they are just not very good. And he absolutely roasted them for four quarters. I mean, going over 200 yards in SEC game is insane. It happens a lot because people are throwing the ball around these days more than they obviously have ever. Uh, but it shouldn't be discounted that going for like, what was it, 13 for 220 um, is just out of this world crazy. That is insane. It is. And then, as you mentioned, Jackson Dart played one of his best games in Ole Miss uniform. You know, the two, I think, you know, we'll see what happens Georgia game, but I guess the way to frame it is to this point, you know, what are the two biggest wins for Ole Miss this season? Well, it's the LSU game is the A&M game. Well, Dart in this game goes 24 of 33 for 387 and two touchdowns. And against LSU, I think he was 26 of 37 for 389. So 25 plus completions in each of those games are right around it with two touchdowns and not turning the football over. That's about all you can ask for a guy whose confidence is continuing to grow every week. You know, we talked about, can you know, is Dart, you know, up for the moment and ready to win the big one. And in both occasions this year, particularly in his own home stadium, he's done that this year. And he, I wasn't totally flawless, but for a guy that's been beat up, he was really, really sharp in the middle portion of that game, particularly on some deep balls. And like you mentioned, on a couple of really crucial slant routes over the middle of the field that kind of got the offense going too. He was the best he's ever been in the intermediate passing game. Uh, he was so just smooth, methodical. Every, nothing looked rushed. The guys would get open and he just hit him in the chest. I mean, it was as simple as that. Um, and he had to really do it all throughout the air. It, a lot of he didn't really have a lot of uh kind of design runs for him, whether that's because he's still kind of ailing with that leg injury or whatever from Arkansas. Uh, I don't know, but this was a really just an aerial attack from him that was fantastic. Uh yeah, he had a few scrambles that were big in the game, but in the end of the day, I mean, he was just carving up this defense and he was getting pressure. He was getting hit. Uh I mean, he's just tough as shit. I mean, it's just never looks phased. Uh is a completely different player than he was a year ago. Um, and they talked about it a little bit when Spencer came in for that one play after what was an absolutely ridiculous hit on him. Um, after he threw the ball to Judkins, did not get enough run in the ESPN broadcast for whatever reason. Um, but they were like, look, Spencer's came in to push him. And, you know, whether that was always the case or whether it was really just to take his job, it didn't matter because Dart came out on top of it. Uh, and he has absolutely proven himself to be an absolutely just, he's just a really good football player that no more, no less. And, the future of him at Ole Miss is not something to really focus on right now. There's a lot more to talk about in the month of November, which is awesome. Uh, but you just can't say enough about his maturity and his growth uh, this season. And he moved around well in this game, you know, for a guy that's looked pretty limited and not looked as good um, moving around in terms of just his overall health and trying to get a gauge on that. Cause obviously you don't know exactly what's hurting him, but it's been very clear from, you know, Arkansas game on, he's been clearly not a hundred percent. I thought he moved around in an extended plays and then made a couple of pretty, pretty important runs throughout the course of that game um, as well. And, you know, you talk about him being more confident and him, he's talked about multiple times, the game slowing down for him. Well, if you look at his numbers now with three games remaining in the season, he's at 62 and a half completion percentage 
or excuse me, 65 and a half completion percentage. He's got 16 touchdowns and four interceptions. By comparison, last year he threw 20 and threw 11 interceptions. The decision-making is there. I, I guess believe it when he says it, when he talks about the game slowing down for him, because there's been so so much fewer of the, oh my God, what was he doing there? Whether it turned into a pick or not, there's been fewer of the, oh, what WTF decisions from him. And I think that's indicative of it as well. And he's just kind of in general plays like a more confident quarterback, even when he's not fully healthy. Absolutely. Uh, his just understanding of the offense and confidence in every single decision he's making is just light years from last year. Um, even with this ailment, and I, we've kind of talked about how he has not been his sharpest whenever he's got something wrong with him, and that's natural for a college quarterback. That, that's nothing, you know, dart-specific. But going into this game, it was a real question. It's like they've talked about his, you know, potentially being injured. He's been asked about it. And today he was just, I mean, not perfect, but as good as you possibly can ask for. Uh, in a game with going up against a defense like this. And it's also has to be mentioned that Watkins is more healthy now and Judkins is fully healthy. The O-line, I mean, everybody's on offense is healthy. Even Hudson Wolf is getting back into the game. And that obviously is a huge compliment uh, for Dart's abilities. Um, and they ran the ball today. And with them being able to run the ball today, they didn't really have to be kind of scheme up runs for darts. They were able to do it out of their regular flow of their offense. So they didn't have to use them that way. And when you don't have to use them that way, I mean, everything is open for you. And it was just evident that he was on. And that's kind of the guy he's just been this entire season, really. We'll get back to Weldon in just one second. But before we do, I need to take one quick break to remind you. This podcast is brought to you by Twisted Tea. Are you ready to elevate your college football game day experience? Check out Twisted Tea, your go-to game day beverage for college football fans. Twisted Tea is unlike any other hard beverage you've ever had before. It's made with real brewed tea and packs a flavorful punch with 5% alcohol and no carbonation, delivering the perfect balance of taste and refreshment that goes down smooth for every game day occasion. No need to settle for the usual. Twisted Tea turns up on any occasion, especially when you're cheering on your favorite team. Whether you're tailgating in the stadium parking lot, watching at a bar, or hosting friends at home, Twisted Tea is there to elevate your game day experience it perfectly complements your love for college football and your passion for creating unforgettable moments so let's toast to unforgettable game day experience twisted tea the drink that fuels and celebrates your love for college football keep it twisted podcast is also brought to you by lb's university avenue there in oxford go see greg if you're rippy right subscriber that's rippyrights.substack.com you get a free newsletter for me and discounted meats right now it's three six ounce bacon wrap fillets for 20 bucks it's about a 40 dollars evaluation you're getting there for 20 dollars. just go in show greg proof of subscription tell him you know about the rippy rights newsletter he'll get you set up and then go find all of your own favorites it's the greatest butcher shop in the world incredible cuts of meat i love the fillet burgers all kinds of delicious sausages. The tri-tip is incredible. It's truly a gem of Oxford and a gem of the South. Check them out. LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. All right, back to Weldon. The deep ball throwing is interesting to me because that was something, a point of emphasis for him going into the se- going into this season off of last season. He's got to improve. And there's still been moments. Um, you know, there were a couple in the two-lane game. There's one or two in the Alabama game where they just weren't on the money and those could be game-changing throws. But would you think it's fair to say at this point that that has improved? Because this is three or four games in a row where they've had a couple of game-changing plays because he's put the ball on the money. The first one to Harris on the game's second drive being the one that sticks out to me. 
Yeah, it's it's still not his best attribute by any means. But what he's done this year compared to last year is when the guys are wide ass open, he is hitting them. Whereas last year, if a guy's streaking down the middle of the field, I mean, he could be 10 yards off. It had happened multiple times. It happened against LSU. It happened earlier in the season. It was like, whoa, like what is going on? And he even had a play like to Trey Harris. I think it was like the third quarter down the sideline. Trey made an incredible play between two defenders to catch the ball. Um, but he was five yards past the DBs. And if Dart puts it on him, he's probably just walking into the end zone. Um, so, I mean, I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer on Dart, but that is absolutely his his weakness in his game is that he does not have a Matt Corral cannon. Uh, but at the end of the day, with what they ask him to do in this offense and what he's been able to do just in the flow of things has been just so, so much better that even if he doesn't have the 60-yard bomb in him, it's just not really going to affect the way this team plays offense. Yeah, no, it's fair. It's the reason I asked the question because I don't have as good an eye for it. And it's just something I noticed over the last couple of games. You mentioned running the football. I thought that was a very underrated portion of this game, even though Dart throws for 380 yards and get the big plays that fueled the game's most important drives um, were largely because they couldn't guard Trey Harris and a couple of deep passing plays down the field. But after the first series or two, I was like, oh, boy, this might be a long day at the office. The offensive line for Ole Miss looked a bit overwhelmed. They were not really having any sort of success running the football with any consistency. And then it looked like they adjusted. It seemed like they got Judkins out on the edge some, and they found a way to generate a serviceable running game to, like you mentioned, you're not having to just kind of scheme up touchdowns and you can actually have some balance. And I think that affects the tempo as well. They finished the game uh, 131 yards rushing on 30-something attempts, a little over four yards of rush. It's actually their third lowest rushing output for the season, but it was more than serviceable. Like it's, you know, I feel like they're different in 130 yards versus 180-yard games. This seemingly after the first two, three drives of this game, they were able to muster enough of a running game to keep AM honest one open up you know man coverage and things like that down the field too and two honestly just to continue the flow of the offense and actually have balanced drives and kind of play with tempo I thought they did enough in the running game against a pretty damn good AM front they just had to keep them honest I mean that was what looked like their plan was throughout the day and to be able to do that without having to go sideline to sideline is something that's going to be massively important next weekend because if you think these AM guys are good, if you watch Georgia play defense, it is just a different level of speed uh, at every single level. Uh, they were able to get them in between the tackles. You know, if they had to go outside, they were able to be successful with that too. And they weren't just, you know, exploding with 20 yard runs and 30 yard runs here and there, but they were able to like, convert, you know, third and shorts and fourth and shorts and on the goal line for, I think, almost every goal line opportunity or Reds an opportunity except for one. Um, they were great. Judkins ran fit. I mean, he was as good as he's been this season, uh, given what he was dealt with uh, in that front seven. I mean, his vision, his just physicality in this game uh, was as good as he's been the entire season. And Bentley wasn't used as much, but he still made plays when he needed to. Uh, I think he was really effective in different ways. Uh, Dart was able to scramble a little bit. They just had enough. They had more than enough. Uh, in this game to keep them honest, to keep them playing that kind of, you know, man-to-man defense on the outside that was the matchup they clearly wanted the entire game. And it was incredibly important to be able to do that. 
Judkins looked like he ran a little angrier. Uh, he didn't actually say anything about it after the game, but he he looked a little bit different. And I don't know if there's anything to that at all, but he had a couple runs early in the game. I forget who the uh, pro football commentator is that does the angry runs. He had a couple of those. He was, he was, he had it going early on. It is pretty clear. And I don't want to speak for him or, you know, I don't think this is necessarily even fair, but he's gotten kind of a, NBA big game player mentality going on right now. Whereas when he's playing Vanderbilt and, you know, Mercer, he ain't, he's not that locked in, you know, it's LeBron James on a Wednesday night on the road at Detroit, you know, it's kind of going through the motions. And when he gets to the big games, you know, he is absolutely a different player. Uh, that's just been a complete fact that throughout this season um, in every game, obviously, except for Alabama, that one just didn't go well for anybody. Um, but he was absolutely playing angry today. I don't know if that had anything to do with the social media comments. They Darton him had some fun with that after the game, and so did the Ole Miss uh social media team. And I mean, he's just a really good football player. He he's not, he's just he does everything right. That that's the crazy thing, is even in blocking, I mean, he's an incredibly underrated pass blocker. Um, which is massive when these guys are bringing pressures. Edron Cooper is a monster linebacker, and you really only heard his name like once or twice. And that has to do with, one, Judkins getting through his ass, and then, two, him just not being an effective blitzer at all with either Bentley or Judkins back there. He was kind of nullified in that case. Uh, he was fantastic today, and he's going to absolutely have to be fantastic next week. Kind of putting a bow on just the offensive thoughts. You talk about a game where it's the game before the game, but it was a huge one in its own right for Ole Miss. And if you look back at maybe in August and talk about stat lines, say, can you give me this guy's stat line for the year on offense? And I'll tell you how Ole Miss fared as an offense and a good indication of the record. They go into this game. Your best receiver, Trey Harris, has a 200-yard day with 11 catches. You're you know, now veteran quarterback throws for 387 and doesn't turn it over and you're all sec running back runs for four yards to carry in 100 yards like that's just we talk about you know this team's good and us admitting the obvious or whatever that's kind of what good teams do their best players step up in games like that and Ole Miss got it from all angles offensively in this game yeah and I'm not Notre Thomas but I did say that the most important stat last week was what is Judkins rushing yards and if he gets you did I remembered you saying that when I was looking at the stats earlier you had a few things right here and there (laughs) So it was like 75 to 120. I think I said, like, if he gets anything over 75 to or to 100, then they're going to win the game. And guess what? They did. And not only that, they had to go against Vegas because this line opened at four and a half. It closed at three with 90% of the money on Ole Miss. That's usually never a great sign. Never a good sign. And honestly, like, the testament of a really good football team is going against that kind of trend where Vegas, they, they don't build those beautiful buildings out there based off all the winners. They base it off the losers. And Ole Miss, of course, technically it was a push, but that's just what this team has done this entire season is they've, they've had some stinky lines, some stinky games. They've just been able to win all of them. Um, and look, there's luck involved in that. There's regression at some point to the mean in these things, but they only have three games left. So it really doesn't matter at this point. They've kind of gotten through those coin flip games. Now it's time for the big shot. 
Yeah, you had tweeted something about that with 90% of the public money being on Ole Miss. And that was like, I was, that, I think I saw that driving into the stadium and I was like, oh boy. And then it's, they get up 14 nothing. And then the first, the, the, the blocked field goal for a touchdown. I was it's like, like it's going to be one of those. It's like scientific almost. It's like they called it out of the wind. It's like the Buffalo Wild Wings commercials. Like, let's call this one in for OT. Like, hey, we need, you know, we can't have a total blowout here. They can still cover, but let's, let's make it interesting, keep the live odds at a reasonable pace. Because, um, like I said, if that thing went to 17 or 21 nothing, you're on total quit watch. And for all we know, that game could have been a massive blowout. But it doesn't matter. They still won. Win by three, win by 20, does not matter. Uh, but that was getting a little sketchy there. Defensively, it wasn't Ole Miss's best performance by any stretch at all. They allow 152 yards on the ground, 305 through the air for 457 yards total. A&M, you know, Ole Miss started the game really well defensively, and then it seemed like A&M kind of settled in after that. Definitely. This is one of those games where I actually just thought Max Johnson and A&M played a really good football game. I didn't think there was a whole lot that Ole Miss did poorly defensively. Yeah, they had some busts. Um, they had some misread run fits. They allowed A&M to get the running game going in the middle quarters of the game. But this kind of goes back to what Lane Kiffin incessantly harps on. They have good players. They have good receivers. They have good They're talent. Max to. Johnson's a talented quarterback. I just thought A&M played one of its best games uh, offensively, and this was a really good football game because of it. I really wasn't as down on the Ole Miss defense about anything in particular. They really struggled to get to Max Johnson. And now they hurt him. They, they got him a few times late. Of course, he would complete some of those passes on his back foot, which is his go-to for whatever reason. Um, it actually turns out that I think he has like a few broken ribs and may not be playing for the rest of the season. I saw that. I don't know if you saw that, yeah, this morning. Um, but they were not really able to generate a consistent pass rush. And I thought – that that was really the key in the middle half of that game was it was Johnson is fully capable of hitting an open receiver and the way that Ole Miss was playing uh, defensively and that kind of shell was like we're not letting these dudes which they absolutely have even though Evan Stewart did not play in this game uh, they're not getting behind us so they were kind of just dinking ducking down the field uh, they missed some run fits they were really struggling to keep contain on some of those like guard tackle counter pulls uh, both Owens and Daniels and Moss, who are all three very talented running backs, kept on getting outside of the contain and turning two-yard plays into 12-yard plays. And it was happening over and over and over again. Um, so they weren't great, but they weren't bad either. I mean, they, they came out on fire. They uh, they do what they've done all season, which is take the ball away from the other team. Uh, I know that was a absolutely atrocious throw by Johnson in the end zone, but at the end of the day, you got to make the play, and, and Saunders did. Um, and then really go down to the last drive. I mean, I thought Golding's plan for that last drive was damn near perfect. Basically, he was he saw what I'm saying right now. is like we are not getting pressure to him with four. And if we sit back there with seven in the back and have him carve us up, they are going to go all the way down the field. And he was like, we're just not going to do that today. We're going to send seven. We're going to send six. We're going to send corners. We're going to send two safeties. And they really struggled to get the ball down the field to give them a chance to get a good field goal. They had three opportunities to take the ball away before the field goal. They had the Trey Washington absolutely perfectly executed cap blitz with the safety coming over, um, just didn't make the play. They had uh, Cedric Johnson, sacks Johnson, and he fumbles the ball just right to the AM running back that was on the ground. And then, of course, Deshaun Gaddy's second opportunity to end the game with interception and he fumbles it out of bounds pretty much. 
they they were fantastic on that last drive. And then, of course, some things just happened for a reason, like Kevin said, and Xavier Harris, who was out last week, uh, comes through and blocks a field goal, which is a perfect just way to sum up the way this Ole Miss team's played this year. So I'm not discouraged or disappointed by this effort. I, I think the 10-point swing changes a lot of things. This was a kitchen sink game for AM in terms of what they needed to do offensively to win. Uh, and they got it done. I, I thought they were fine. They weren't perfect. Uh, but they were absolutely good enough to win an SEC football game against a really talented, at least skill set offense. Yeah, like you had mentioned in in the first part of that answer, too, it's like it wasn't perfect, but they had the perfect plan toward the end of the game. And it ended up uh, you know, working out for them. You get the block kick, a little bit of luck involved there, but that's kind of how it goes with all these things. What was interesting to me was throughout the course of this year, the different guys they've used at linebacker in the secondary to make an impact. And there's only a handful that fit this category, but Ladarius Tennyson's one of them. So if you look at his snap counts on a weekly basis, it can range anywhere from like 30 to 12. And he made a huge impact on this game. And I look at the snap counts today and he played 55 snaps. And I think like with the variety of personnel they have, you know, at linebacker and in the secondary, some too, um, the different guys they utilize on a weekend, week out basis. Like they're we're using as much Perkins, particularly on passing downs um, in this game. And that's something they've done the last couple of games. But his ability to get the correct personnel in the field and find different guys to make an impact on games is something I've been impressed with with Golding this year. And I think Tennyson's a great example of that because he was incredibly disruptive with what some of, some of what A&M was trying to do in the short passing game in space. He, he is Mike Hilton-esque. And when the way that he plays, he, he's just a downhill undersized safety who just disrupts everything in, in the run fits. He's been great at that all year, whether it's spying the quarterback or whether it's just coming in off the tackles ass and making a play in the backfield. He's just been really, really good. And I'm sure his snap counts will be going up now that we've learned that Aishim Young is off the team. Um, and who could have ever seen that coming after his uh, initial week in Oxford? Um <laughs> So look, they they went bowling. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, Now that never got out as wild. But anyway, continue. Sorry. Insane. No, it's fine. Um, They have real depth on every single layer of this defense. And we've talked about like, yeah, they've had players. They've had guys going out there, but not guys that they're actually confident in playing real roles on this defense. And along the line, they, they play, you know, four linebackers. They play, I mean, at least seven DBs consistently. And, you know, it varies week by week depending on what they're doing and what their base is that week. But they just all – the puzzle pieces have fit so perfectly for the talent on this team. I know a lot of people have been, like, you know, shitting on whoever and Siski and, you know, even me earlier in the season saying this defense is slow. And it's still not – they they're playing great. They absolutely are playing great. They're playing as good as they can for lacking a little bit of team speed, the back end. It's okay. It's okay to admit. Um, but it's all credit to Golding for putting the right pieces in the right place and calling the game to the strengths of this team. And I think the last drive of that uh, just culminated perfectly with the way he realized what was going on. He realized the fault that this team had had, in the middle and, and into that game was like, we're just going to go after them and we're going to have confidence in our corners and in our safeties that if we go zero, they're not going to get behind us and we'll make a play. And they, they had, like I said, multiple opportunities 
to end that game in the game on turnovers. And that's been the case really all year with these guys, um, even against Alabama. I mean, you've looked at Alabama and how they've played this season. They held that team to 24 points. And the only reason they scored one of those touchdowns was because Burton made one of the craziest catches we've seen this season um, on that deep ball where he like completely lost it. Those are like the really only explosive plays this defense has given up um, in important moments. And they've just been really, really solid. And statistically, they're probably not in the place you'd like to see them. But at the end of the day, they're making game-changing plays and they're winning the turnover battles consistently. And that's the calling card of a really good defense. We'll finish up with Weldon in just one second. But before we do, I want to take one more quick break to remind you. This podcast is now brought to you by MC Speech Therapy. Has your child been diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder or another developmental disorder? MC Speech Therapy offers private speech therapy from the comfort of your own home. Other centers may leave you as the parent sitting in the waiting room. MC Speech Therapy enables parents to make every moment with their child therapeutic. Using a relationship-based framework, MC Speech Therapy can help your child engage, relate, and communicate. Mary Claire Boudreaux's doctorate-level expertise and passion in helping children with communication difficulties offers articulation and language therapy, parent training, and is licensed to do virtual therapy across the state of Mississippi. With MC Speech Therapy, you and your family will gain a better understanding of your child while cultivating stronger relationships. For service today, call 903-824-8575 or email her at maryclaire at mcspeechtherapy.net. That is M-A-R-Y-C-L-A-I-R-E at mcspeechtherapy.net. All right, back to Weldon. Yeah, and the the part about the secondary too, because people got upset about the slowness and the not team speed on the back end. I think the best way to, in that sense, paint it as a positive for Golding and the staff and their development. Look at what we the way we talked about it post spring and the amount of the secondary in particular and the amount of guys they brought in the portal, and they're really damn effective back there. Like there hasn't been a single moment this year where it's like the secondary is costing this team football games. And they've, they've kind of put it together with the hodgepodge of portal guys because they didn't feel good about the depth on the roster going in. Like, you know, if, if you're giving it a grade based on what you thought the secondary would be to start the year versus what it is now, it's gotta be in the a a minus range somewhere around there. It's been unbelievable what they've done and who they've hit on in the portal to make what I thought would be a pretty huge weakness into just a pretty decent part of their defense. Absolutely. And you have to hit on those portal guys. That's the biggest thing with this portal. It's it's not like Juco. We're not really expecting these guys to play, you know, necessarily from day one. These guys are coming in to play. That's why you brought them in. That's what you've told them. And if you look at a team like LSU, for instance, they've absolutely whiffed on the back end of the portal when they needed DBs as much as anybody in the country. They brought in a guy from Syracuse, not even on the team, not even a just no issues. He just can't play. And they just told him that and he left. Denver Harris, one of the other five-star AM guys, came in similar to Chris Marshall. They basically were like, you can't play. And now he's like barely on the team anymore. Um, at Ole Miss, I mean, they've brought in John Saunders from Miami of Ohio. Miami of Ohio, and he has been as crucial as any DB on this team. They brought in Samari Walton from a really bad Georgia Tech team, identified strengths in his game. He has been really, really good for this team. Chris Graves was on the field a lot more in this game. I think yeah, it's he was. I think Walton got a little banged up uh, tackling a running back in one of those plays, but haven't you haven't even heard his name being called because he hasn't been picked on at all. Uh, they've just done an incredible job putting together. I mean, Gaddy has not been an everyday guy, but he's absolutely made plays in games 
uh, for this team here and there. So it's just putting in guys that are capable and confident to play in these positions. And that's not an easy thing to do because teams F that up constantly. You see it all around the country. It's like you're up and down depending on how many players you hit in the portal. And for this year on the defense side of the ball, they've been almost flawless on that end. Speaking of flawless, other than the first play, that last drive went about as well as you possibly could. And the last drive, speaking for Ole Miss, they get down there, they get a little fortunate with the pass interference. Dart makes a good throw to Harris, a couple of Judkins runs, and then, you know, third and four there in the most critical down of the game, and they kind of do the the option pitch thing with – Great uh, play call. Yeah, great, because it kind of – I mean, it, that defensive end couldn't win there. As soon as okay. he kind of stood up, straight up a little bit and trying to figure out if he should go play Dart or – whether he was going to pitch it to Judkins, either answer was going to be the wrong one. They would have gotten the first down with it. Dart kept it and faked the pitch. Um, he may not have gotten all the way down to the two, but it was a perfect play call, perfect schematic play call, and it worked out for them in the uh, you know most crucial moment of the game. Did you think they scored too fast? Because I kind of didn't. Because A&M had kind of been slowly, methodically moving across the field. It wasn't like the LSU game where it's like they definitely scored too fast. This one I didn't, but it was also a hell of a lot closer than I thought it was going to be. No, I, this was not a case scenario because, like, you needed a touchdown, of course. Yeah, you and can't try to go slow. Like, you can't try to not score intentionally. No, in there's no scenario where you you do anything differently there. And with AM and just the way that their offense is run, it's not that explosive. Um, you are going to be able to play the way that they played on that last drive. And, of course, yeah, I mean, they got it down there to an extent. But, uh, I mean, a 47-yard field goal, even if it wasn't blocked, is far from a guarantee. I mean, that's still playing well and, and holding them from, you know, doing something really crazy. So, no, I, I don't think they scored too quickly. I think they executed that four-minute offense about as perfectly as you possibly could. Yeah, I was halfway joking, like in just from like a, a no, course, like from a coaching staff standpoint, it's not like, yeah, they scored too quickly. They should have done that better. I was just sitting there thinking from a mindset standpoint, like, did they? Because it, it led to a funny well, exchange. Dart said they did. <laughs> yeah, it, it led to a funny exchange after the 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 game where Kiffin said, you know, uh, Jackson comes over and says, we scored too fast. He's like, can you just be positive, please? And then they're lining up for the kick and Dart's like, overtime, they're going to make the kick. And he's like, hey, can you be positive, please? He made some comment about, uh, dart reading uh reading too much into the late bobby knight who passed away this week r.i.p's power of negative thinking i'm not sure i've ever actually heard of that didn't know where that that came one out of nowhere and maybe that's just me being uneducated on bobby knight but i, I had no idea what that was about but that was a pretty poignant little pull that he had there kind <laughs> of out of the air i guess he was waiting to say that one for whatever reason uh that was one of his more quick-witted jokes that he's ever made in a press conference with a little bit of pop culture to it as well we didn't cover this last week, but because I think most of it happened in the Monday press conference uh, after you and I had recorded on Sunday, but Lane tastefully needled Jimbo all week. It didn't turn into a gigantic Twitter saga where it's like, what is the head coach doing? But it was very purposeful. If you had played a drinking game of how many times in Lane's Monday press conference last week, he said the word collected talking about the players they collected and then it literally at one point he said you know congrats to that group that collected all of those players yeah. <laughs> organization it was it was Not just so funny. there was a shot in there about you know talk goals changing and he said you know well Jimbo said their goal is to get to a bowl game and this is this is we're in the way of them accomplishing that it's funny because it's not like a he liked to he likes to pick on Nick Saban or rib him a little bit or just kind of dunk on Hugh Freeze for being cringeworthy. 
I think he has a general dis disdain and an annoyance at Jimbo Fisher's incompetence. I think he looks at all the resources they have. They look at all the talent. It's like this jackass can't win 10 games a year with this. I think that genuinely bothers him. I've always wondered what it really was. And I, I think you're right. I think that's absolutely part of it. Just like a sort of a, not even a jealousy. It's more just a, he just frowns upon Jimbo and he just does not think he is a good football coach. And he's looking over there and he's like, look at all these guys defensively, offensively. I'm sure he's not a huge fan of Dirk and how he left either. And it's just like, they're not good. They're never good. And I never felt this week in the press conferences that it was anything more than like sarcastic jabbing. I didn't feel like he was nervous about this game. I think he was getting his shots in because he's like, yeah, they're really talented, but I just don't think we're going to lose this game. I've seen this story over and over again. I'm so confident that I'm willing to go out in public and jab him and, you know, troll him and do whatever you want to do because we're going to win this football game, whether or not I do this or not. And, you know, I don't think it's one of those things where you have to be worried about him going to AM because he looks at all those resources. I, I think he hates that program. Uh, I think he can't stand Jimbo. I think a lot of it stems from Jimbo complaining that people were calling them out for paying players and acting like they weren't. I think that's one of the things. And of course, saving getting into it in lanes like, what are we what are we doing here? Like, why are we acting like this? This is so stupid. And he just has had whatever vendetta against him since then. It's incredibly clear that they do not like each other. And I love it. I'm happy that they go about it like this. Um, I'm sure that pros game handshake was pretty tough to swallow for Jimbo after basically getting, you know, a pie in his face all week and then still losing the game. Uh, the pregame so one was awkward. I don't know if you caught that at the broadcast, like right before the game started, maybe it's right at the beginning of the actual game, watching it again this morning. But the, the, the pregame handshake was a little weird. Yeah. The oh, I didn't see you. Oh, there you are. What's up, friend? Like this whole awkward ordeal. I mean, I kind of wish they just didn't even do it. Like just like, no, we're good here. We'll, we'll move on. Uh, but I'm sure it's customary for whatever reason. In an alpha move, it looked like Lane was the one seeking him out. He's making Jimbo Fisher look like he didn't see him. See him. Just alpha move. Uh, maybe he could have called him buddy or chief and given him a back tap Ooh. while a back tap while they handed it. But it was power handshake. The handshake kind of hand on the arm as well. Like, how are you doing, buddy? <laughs> it, it got me thinking too. Like last thing on this, but like, you know, we talk about Lane and, you know, you know, antics on social media and him ribbing people in press conferences. And a lot of times it's us laughing with him or, or at the joke or whatever. Other times we talk about it being a little bit, you know, unbecoming and immature. And I think it kind of depends on the moment, but I don't think the character that is Lane Kiffin should go without like its proper appreciation. He's made these press conferences entertaining as hell to cover. You never really know what he's going to have up his sleeve. He's genuinely like a witty and like quippy smart person. And the reason I thought of this actually never had anything to do, did not have anything to do with the Jimbo thing that maybe led into it some, but he makes the cameo in on game day. He's got oh, yeah. the shades on looking full on dapper Lane Kiffin. And he signs off the show with a walk-off. They told me I'm supposed to root for LSU, go Tigers. And then a Hall of Fame level shit-eating grin on his face as he walks off almost as like he just said it on his face. Did you guys like that? And I don't know why that made me laugh so hard when I watched it in the moment. But him intentionally stirring the pot and going into an interview with a plan to just lob a turd in the proverbial punch bowl and get things stirred up online is hilarious to me, and I appreciate it a lot. I love it. The game, day, up. The, He's game day, 
the game day appearance was just perfect. Uh, it was incredible. The, the Go Tigers and the legitimate eruption from the Alabama fans once he said that. I mean, that was like the rowdiest they got for the entire show was having Kiffin say Go Tigers. And they exploded. And he's he's honestly gotten better about it. I, I think his quips and his trolling and everything that he's done, you know, not just because they're winning and we can appreciate it more, but I think it's actually – a little less, you know, kind of out of nowhere. It's more pointed. It's funnier. It's like legitimately funnier. And it's just hard not to appreciate it. He deserves the flowers. It obviously always looks better when they're winning. Uh, but he only does it in this like kind of confident manner. It, I don't even know another way to express it. Uh, that makes it more tasteful and less kind of like out of nowhere. I, I don't even know how to explain it, but it's just... This year, it's been really, really impressive. <laughs> he's been on one this year. It looks like he's having a hell of a lot more fun than he did at times last year. Um, like, he just got asked a pretty innocuous question about, like, the end of the game and the kick, and he spent two and a half minutes or a minute and a half talking about how he actually didn't see that because he was trying to kicker. screw with the kicker. Um, <laughs> and even though you can't call back-to-back timeouts yelling and making it known that he has another timeout, just that kind of gamesmanship, it just seems like he's enjoying himself a lot more. So uh, this has been a peak Lane Kiffin year from a commentary standpoint, and uh, maybe we got a couple more chapters left in it before it's all said and done with. Last thing before I want to hit a little bit of the Georgia game, uh, barring some sort of seismic historic upset, I don't think ULM is going to come in here and win the game. Uh, Lane Kiffin is going to go through four seasons as the head coach in Oxford and have two of them where he did not lose a home game. That's not easy to do. They just no, it, it kind of wraps up the game booking perfectly. They just kind of win these games now. I, we talked about this last week. I think that there was only been, I think, one loss in the Lane Kiffin era sans COVID year because we obviously know that doesn't matter. That has been inexplicable, and that has been the Mississippi State game last season. That is, and it's a home loss, so they really could be twenty-one and one, uh, and really could be twenty-two and zero, twenty-two and zero in their last uh, however many home games. Uh, if you want to count Alabama as well, they just win these games. That is, it is so important for Ole Miss as a program to win as many coin flip games as possible, and when you win all of them, it changes the complete picture of your season it, it changes the the ceiling changes the floor of the program it does everything and him this season just uh, excuse me sorry just winning these games that you're supposed to win or should win or absolutely could win ha- has been massive and of course this this Alabama thing is still kind of holding over this program right now um I mean not really but it, it's the one final step and we who knows when we'll see it again unfortunately but every other game, every other team, I think he's got a winning record against almost everybody in the league that he's played against so far, uh, so far, except for maybe Florida, I guess, because they only played him once. But he's just beating everybody. He's just beating the teams he's supposed to beat. He's 500 or a winning record against everybody in this league, I think. And that is just a total change from the way Ole Miss has been in the past. And he set up this game that we'll talk about that is just massive. Um, it's the backdrop is so freaking frustrating and disappointing for what could be the case if they end up winning this game and winning out. Um, but I, I will choose to focus on the positives and the fact that we're in this situation in the first place uh, because they've got a real opportunity. I don't know if you saw the line, but it is 10. It's the lowest Georgia line in a long time against a team of, you know, 
this scenario, I guess. I don't really know, even know what I'm trying to say. In a non-championship or playoff game, it's one of the lowest signs they've had in a while. Uh, there's real momentum with this Ole Miss team. There are real questions with this Ole Miss team, but this is going to be an incredible week, and I think Lane will be taking a much more Saban business approach to this one. I do too, and it's a massive game, but I, this sounds like a simplistic question, but in your mind, why is this a huge game? Why is it a huge game? Yeah, why? It's a huge game because it continues to keep Ole Miss in a very important conversation, which is are they going to potentially play for a national championship? Um, that That's it. And that, that's the simplest version of why this is such a big game because they win this game, they will have put them in a position to potentially compete for a national championship in football. I mean, that's the stakes of this one. Uh, it's different because it's not for the West. Uh, it, it's really as free of a free shot as you can possibly have against a team that you are definitely capable of beating if you play a really perfect, sound football game. It's not going to be easy. They're not favored. They're a double-digit underdog. Um, but it, it's very – it's gettable. It absolutely is gettable. And if you get it – like I said, for the third time, I want to emphasize this. You have put yourself in position to play for a national championship in football. Probably won't happen, but it's possible. Well said. It wasn't a trick question, but I just wanted no. to hear exactly how you outlined it. I, I mean, I, I don't have a ton to add to that. I, I feel the exact same way. It's a weird one because they had big games through the years, like 03 LSU for the West, you know, the college football playoff elimination game against Auburn and some of those. This one's weird in that sense because it's big for different reasons it's a big it's a free shot like you mentioned it's a shot to continue the conversation we talked about this from post bye week on because the way Auburn and A&M looked we figured they would win those games and it was mostly just a fun exercise that we stuck the premature label on before even diving into the discussion now that's no longer premature like it's here to talk like it's a real conversation to be had and then obviously the conversation becomes even more real and tangible if you are to somehow and go pull this off and it's also a narrative building thing. You know, one thing that I thought of when you right. mentioned the A&M game and they just win these games. Now, under Wayne Kiffin, that's Ole Miss's brand. They're a team that if they're, you know, remotely equally talented as you, they're going to win the game at home. They just don't lose there. This is another one where it keeps you in the conversation to the seasons. Really, it'll take you – if you win this game, it'll take you through the end of the regular season to be in the conversation in the college football playoff. That's not really ever happened before. Number two, it still gives you an outside chance, and that's the disappointing aspect of this. In most other years, I don't think we would be talking about this – again, big, big if, but let's just say they won the game. I don't think you would be talking about a potential Ole Miss in 11-1 as having a very outside chance. I think they would be firmly in the thick of things. But unfortunately, the way the cookies crumbled this year in the you know last year, ironically, of the four-year four-team playoff, it just looks tough. I mean, you did have Oklahoma lose. You didn't really get much help in front of you. Not gotten a lot of luck. No, not a lot of luck at all. Washington pulling it out. Texas pulling it out. Uh, you've had some games that you've needed to go other ways that just kind of haven't so far. And that doesn't mean they won't. Um, but no, it, it's a real outside chance, which is unfortunate. But yeah, and that's not, it is that's not the important part. No, it's not the important part. And, you know, you got some one. I don't know. I guess the narrative building aspect of the second part to build on that is if you do kind of get chaos, 
and you get to the season and you just have these jumble of one loss teams and you have a wins over LSU and Georgia on your resume. And then Georgia presumably would be one of those one loss teams that you never know. Like what, you know, I know the picture looks bleak right now, but having those two wins on your resume, if you are in a sea of six, seven, one loss teams at the end of the year is going to be massively important too. And the craziest thing, and I'm truly honest to God mean this, if they are able to beat Georgia and they don't play for the SEC West Championship and somehow, some way, the cookie crumbles where they get in as some four seed, this team could win the whole thing. Yes, they could. That is that is the craziest part about this entire situation is that there is only one team in the country. And look, you would have beaten that Georgia team that you go into that game or like, man, I just don't know. I just don't know. In Michigan, they would be another one of those teams, but who the hell knows what's going to happen? Who knows where that's the, that, knows that story's headed? And when you see, I mean, the other teams, when you see a Florida State or a Ohio State or an either Oregon or Washington, it's like, yeah, those teams are really good, but Jesus, like they ain't, they're not that good. Like they're not on these unbeatable, unstoppable forces that we've seen in 19 LSU and 20 Alabama and, you know, some of the other Alabamas and teams in the past, the Georgia team from last year, if they somehow got into this thing, I'm just not going to be taking anyone against them to potentially win two of those games. It would be incredibly difficult. You might get one of those in New Orleans. I mean, that's, that would be insane. And look, of course, this is all so ridiculous. Yes. So way before, you know, we need to be talking about it, but that's just the case. That's the situation you're in. That is the moment you are in at this program right now is that you are being considered a team that has a chance to play for a national championship, which is crazy going into it. What we thought about this season, at least. What is it going to take for them to win the game? I think this game is so much more about the defense and the offense. I think if you were able to muddy this game up against them, uh, Missouri did about as good of a job as you could do in that first half possible on defense to keep them in the game. And like we've seen with this Ole Miss team, if they're in this game in the fourth quarter, I mean, who's t- who's betting against them? Yep. Uh, this is also a – it's a hurdle game. It, it's a narrative-changing game. It's a Lane Kiffin game. They have not been great in big games on the road under Kiffin. This one is at 6 o'clock in Athens, Georgia, and God willing, I believe I will be there <laughs> to, to see it all. It's going to be an insane atmosphere. It's going to be game day. It's going to be the whole damn ordeal. Um and it's going to be about how many stops and how many field goals can the defense get? Because I do think this offense, shockingly enough, I think they've got the chance to score against Georgia. They're not putting up 38. That, that I can almost guarantee it. If they do, they will win this game. But it's going to be kind of one of those deals, can you put up 28 and win this game? Um, I think that's possible. I just think it's a lot of it is containing containing Beck, containing Delp, oddly enough, without Bowers, and then just mitigating explosive plays with some of their receivers. Um, I think this is a weirdly decent matchup for Ole Miss. You're going to see – I mean, they are going to get after Dart. But if they're able to just muddy up this game, situations where, you know, the offense goes a few three and outs in a row in the middle of the game, which is what some things they've done throughout the season, the defense is able to – let's say hold Georgia to maybe just one touchdown out of those three possessions, you're still in it. It's about keeping yourself in it and giving your chance in the fourth quarter to do what they've done all season, which is come out on top.
what does that do again premature but if Jackson Dart is able to win a game like this where does he start being talked about amongst Ole Miss quarterbacks and then talk about the narrative shifting about his future next year well I mean not really an important storyline right now but 11 and 1 Jackson Dart I don't know how he didn't come back next year not a whole lot more you can do with that um but just where do you think you know, as he continues to win games like this, if he's able to notch this feather in his cap, how does he talked about among Ole Miss quarterbacks? He's up in that conversation with Eli and Archie and Jag Kelly. And, you know, he's honestly a little bit more of a Bo Wallace than those guys. I think just his toughness, where he's brought this program from after Corral, he kind of reminds me more of him uh, than the other guys. But, I mean, he's up there. And it really just... Ole Miss in general, through three different head coaches, the quarterback play that they've gotten in the last 10 years, 11 years, I mean, going from Bo to Chad to Tayamu, you know, there's a little shape Patterson mixed in there, uh, to Corral, and even JRP, they weren't good. I was on the staff, but at least they was exciting for a little bit. Uh, and then to Dart, I mean, there are programs that would die for that shit. And, uh, you know, you give a lot of credit for Kiffin to, you know, getting the most out of the last two that we've had. Um, but winning at Georgia would put himself in that conversation amongst the best ever, especially single season. It would put him in the Heisman conversation, most likely, if he is the reason they win that game. Um, and then NFL-wise, winning this game is not going to change his draft stock. People are not going to look at him differently. Um, maybe he decides that he's done enough and it's time to go, or maybe he decides that I've got another level to put this on. We were so close. We'll come back and try to win this whole thing. Who knows? But it's a massive, massive game for his legacy uh, at Ole Miss. Yeah, it is. And I think kind of last thought on this, but I think the game's more about defense too, because what did Missouri felt like they needed in that game? They threw two picks and they didn't force any interceptions either. They, if, you know, a, a pick here or there or a takeaway on the Missouri side, hell, we might be having a different conversation about how that game went today. So that's oh, why yeah. I think a lot of this game will revolve around the Ole Miss defense as well. You, you have to win or go even in the turnover battle because this Georgia team and these, these Georgia teams of late – they're incredibly similar to the Alabama teams of like from 09 to 13, where one interception and one turnover is like a 10 point swing for them. It just changes the entire complexity of the game. They're so good at taking the ball and just, I mean, pick six, fumble, scoop, and score. They do it all. They are so advantageous um, defensively, or they they're create advantageous positions for them on takeaways. And if you cannot give them the ball, if you can hold up blocking some of these guys, you're going to have a chance, a very similar chance that Missouri had uh, against this team. It's going to be a fun one. I can't wait. We'll have a hell, hell of a lot to talk about as the week unfolds. Let's take a real quick look around the SEC. Uh, I guess we'll start with the old CBS classic nightcap that we get the first week of November every year. Alabama, LSU. There was a moment where I thought LSU was going to win this game. They scored to go up 28-21. I was like, hey, they're kind of doing enough defensively. And then they mm -hmm. just let Jalen Milrow you know, look like an elite level quarterback. I thought he played one of his best games. You know, nothing jumps off the stat page uh, wise throwing the football 15 to 23 for 219, but he runs wild on him. He ran the ball 20 times for 155 yards and four touchdowns. LSU, I guess even if you're down Alabama from an offensive and a quarterback standpoint, my takeaway would be you can't win a game like that when your defense plays that poorly. They are, uh, they are, or is that poor? I should say there is that poor, not playing that poorly. They yeah. are, they're awful. They're terrible. Um, 
not even, you know, being bad is one thing, but I think what makes it so much worse is I thought that their plan going into that game and the way it played out was even worse. They did not spy Milrow on any obvious passing downs. And, you know, Milrow runs for 20 for 145, and there weren't that many called runs. These were He was just him scrambling and making plays. And I guess Perkins is playing freaking nickel guarding the tight end, and they're getting out of rush lanes, and he just rips through that defense multiple times. Um, they're terrible at defense. And what this game showed is what we were, you know, anybody that could see this team was that they have to play perfectly on offense to win football games against teams with a pulse. Uh, they thought they were kind of coming around a corner because they beat the shit out of Auburn and Army and like, oh, our defense is different. You know, we're playing a little bit better. We brought in Pete Jenkins. Things have changed. And that was never true, ever true for one second. They always sucked. They have still sucked. And all it took was a team with a pulse to show it. And they Alabama did. I mean, this is as good of a coaching job Saban has done there. Uh, he has loved this team from the start. He has been on this team's side from the start. He has managed this team offensively along with Tommy about as perfectly as you could considering the personnel that they have. And they had a revenge mindset after last year. They came to this game and they, for the last two quarters, just beat LSU's ass. Um, and I'm not really that shocked, to be honest. Uh, this is a bad LSU defense. And if they're going to turn the ball over on offense and not complete certain plays, they're just not going to be good enough to beat anybody with a pulse. Yeah, I agree. It was the result was not that surprising, but you know, you let the hopes get up a little bit when they come out and they go up 28, 21, um, Arkansas, Florida. This was the same time as the Ole Miss game. I was at it. I caught a little bit of the highlights, but uh, talk about a badly needed win for Sam Pittman in that program. And uh, weird game after they fire uh, Dan Enos, they scored 39 points. I know crazy how that happens was a takeaway, <laughs> but uh, funny how that works. Uh, that just feels like a program that needs to win. Uh, it's needed to win in the worst way. And hey, it's not inconceivable that they went out and somehow get this thing to six and six. They get uh three home games left. They get Auburn, FIU, and then Mizzou to close out the year all at home, and they're three and six right now. Not so possible. that could be a bit of a rebound for old Sam Pittman, even though his seat's pretty hot. It's a swing game for both programs. A massive win for Sam Pittman. I don't know if it's going to save his job, but it's definitely gets him back in the good graces. Clearly showing that look, he gets it. He gets you know, crucified for making the offensive coordinator higher than firing him in the middle of the season. But he made the change again, and they looked like a completely different football team. And, like, they did it by simplifying the offense, not changing the offense. Uh, but really for Florida, man, this is a bad one. Uh, you There's a real chance that they don't win another game this year, if you've looked at their schedule. I think they've got at Missouri, uh, Florida State at home, and – Somebody else. Oh, at LSU. Yeah. Um, this this upcoming week. So this was the one that could get them to what they would have been six and two or six and three. Yeah, I would have gotten them to six and three. Six and three. And then like, you know, you're looking at possibly seven or eight wins. Maybe now it's like, are you even gonna get to six? It's just it was a terrible, terrible loss for them. Um, I was with a bunch of Florida guys at, with Jack's wedding. A lot of those are UF guys and they were pretty down. You know, they actually have like had a all of them who are pretty football knowledgeable. Jack's brother played baseball at, at Florida. So they, they've got a good idea of what's going on over there. They're like pretty confident with things that have been going on around Florida. 
But this one was like a gut punch. They were all like, man, like this is just not, we've kind of got some momentum going. And after that Georgia game, this was like the one we needed to get to keep it going. And it just kind of taken all the air out of that balloon. Um, and their biggest concern, which I didn't know, is uh, they don't want Billy calling plays anymore. That That's Ooh. like the biggest thing from Florida is they want him to hire an OC. They all like Billy. Every single one of them. No one's like questioning him necessarily. Um, whether they should or should not, that's up to whoever the hell cares. Uh, but that's one thing that they wanted pretty badly. Um, so our guy Rich Rod almost pulled the sucker off. I told you, <laughs> I told you this one was one to watch, and damn, he almost freaking did it too. I know. Uh, it was that really close. Did. I thought there was a second there where I thought they were going to do it, but of course, it was a, that game ended with the, or for all intents and purposes, ended with a pick six. Yeah, I actually didn't really get to see a lot of this game. This was kind of during the same time as Ole Miss and Florida, and this one was not really on the TV very much getting ready for the wedding. So I didn't really see what happened, but I was following it. So I was like 28-28, and I was like, this is, you know, you got your shot here. I guess it didn't work out for them, but uh, they covered, which was obvious. That was a ridiculous line um, given out. So good for Rich Rod for making people some money. Um, but South Carolina's got real problems. But, 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 but. Uh, Beamer went on another rant in his post-game press conference, which is just – you can't be so emotional after every game. But I will defend him. I, I do think he's right that, like, a lot of his players are celebrating the locker room. And he's like, look, man, we worked really hard to win these football games. Like, I know it wasn't a beautiful win, but, like, these guys had a pretty down season. They played a pretty good football team. They won. They're excited. Like, fuck off questioning that. So I will give him that, but maybe just tone it down every single week. I want to make sure I had this right. It was 31-28 South Carolina, and uh, uh, Jacksonville State had a first and 10 from the South Carolina 15. They have a run for a loss of two. And then Stone Blanton, uh, Mississippi kid, MRA kid, pick six is 82 yards. So they were at one point 15 yards away from taking a lead late in the fourth quarter in that game. I do agree. I'm glad you brought up the Beamer part of it. I saw that this morning too. Um, I, you know, he's not always my cup of tea from how he handles everything so emotionally and like personally, but right. I, I did side with him on that. Like you're upset. With, if anyone's out there upset with dudes celebrating one of the 12 Saturdays, they get a fall and they win these games. They've had a terrible year with a ton of injuries. I, I don't really care if you win a game, celebrate however the hell you want to that. That's always been a weird thing to me. So I did agree with him with that. And then lastly, the only one over the one we hadn't really covered state Kentucky wolf. Didn't see a second of this game. This was going on during the wedding. I only had my phone up for, for LSU Alabama because my wife obviously wanted to watch, and, of course, everyone did. Um, I caught about a quarter. It wasn't missing a whole lot. Uh, this These teams combined for, like, 480 or 90-something yards of offense combined. Uh, it was it was not great. State throws a pick six. You had 15 penalties amongst the two teams. Just I, I don't know what else to say. I get State's having to – play a backup quarterback but this team is just a disaster because it's not like Kentucky's any good either no they're not and I, I kind of saw I went to read some stuff because I always like seeing some melts from teams that lose and it sounded like they brought in the the redshirt freshman Parson from Nashville and he gave him a spark I guess um I don't know what spark he gave them because they didn't score a touchdown uh it was 24-3 I believe was the final um, and he wore a glove on his throwing arm, which means that he has super small hands, uh, which is always hilarious to see because he's not even a big guy to begin with. And whenever you see that, you're like, oh, boy, you know, that's you know what upside does this kid have, really? Uh, but maybe he did. I'll have to watch that game and see if he's a difference maker because they're going to A&M next week. 
with probably playing a Max Johnson list AM with a Mike Wright and Will Roger list Mississippi State. So a battle of third string quarterbacks coming up in College Station, which I'm sure will be a raucous crowd for that cult over there. Um, not going to be pretty. And I, that thing's over, by the way. The Mississippi State thing. I don't. Know yeah, I just don't know how he That's- survives that. I mean, it's not going it, to. It's it's not even the record. I keep, I keep hearing people talk about yeah. what they get to six six, they get to five and seven. It's not no. even really the record. It, it's it's more so how it looks and just what an utter disaster they are on a weekly basis. Dunzo, Dunzo. It's done, and it's it's important to do it now because nothing is going to change this offseason. The recruiting is terrible. The team looks terrible. The talent – I mean, there's going to be guy leaving that team left and right in this portal season. Um, they have no quarterback. They are bad on defense, which is like his calling card. Everything's gone wrong. And is it all his fault? Maybe yeah. not. I, I, I'm willing to give him at least – 50% of the problem. Uh, but the other 50% was that you had an awesome coach or an awesome coach for Mississippi State, an awesome coach in general, pass away in an impossible situation. You are now removed from that. You can't keep going forward with this. He's out of he's completely over his head, completely out of his depths. Um, they're not playing a good brand of football. They are not playing an exciting brand. They have a higher expectation there which I think is semi-deserved. They, they've out-exceeded expectations every year there for a long time. And when you go below already pretty low expectations, it's over for you there. Um, so that that's done. And if it's not done, then that program is close to done because they're going to have another year like this, and it's going to be so, so, so much worse. It just feels like they're getting left behind in a lot of ways. I agree. I, I think it probably needs to be done. And I get the whole unfair situation. Do you really want to get in the business of firing a coach, you know, back-to-back years, or not firing a coach back-to-back years, having a different coach that's, uh, for the third sure. time in three years? You know, tragic situation with Mike Leach. But I agree with you. I, I just don't see really a path forward. Because as you brought up on last week, Jared, the recruiting is kind of tanking too. And so that that's going to be really, really bad. A real volatile situation. So we'll take a look at it. A lot more to discuss in the coming week. Let's real quick do uh, the fastest growing segment on American Soil. It is Soccer Corner before we get out of here. Well, I didn't even prepare for this today. I was too busy looking up some quotes and stuff after the game. Man City back on the top, but uh, the biggest shocker, Tottenham still hanging there a point behind. What did we miss this week in the EPL? I really wish I was more prepared for this as well. I didn't get to watch a lot of this. Um, but there were some pretty interesting results, I would say, this weekend. Uh, United is in a total free fall and somehow were able to get a 96-minute winner at Fulham to kind of salvage what has been an absolutely terrible week. Uh, they lost 3-0 at home in the uh, Carabao Cup kind of midseason tournament game to Newcastle, and it was probably worse than that. Um, so that's not good. Uh, let's go through a few other of these. City scored six on Bournemouth really rounding into form, really kind of figuring out their shit. Um, Not that they haven't had it this season, but like when you get one of those games where you get a few in, it's like, okay, you know, we're, we're figuring something out. Um, Brentford gets a big win against West Ham and they're just solidly sitting there um, kind of just waiting in the wings uh, as they have been. They're just a solid middle table team, which is that's important for them for a team that's lost their biggest striker due to a gambling incident. Uh, to be able to kind of just reload uh, for the gambling team uh, has been big. And then uh, Arsenal takes an L to Newcastle, who's got a lot of momentum right now. They've been playing well in Champions League and the Cup games. And then they get a 
relatively controversial win, supposedly. I did not see it uh, against an Arsenal team at home. And then today, Luton Town at home draws to Liverpool. And honestly, they really probably should have won this game. I kind of saw the final highlights of this. Um, Liverpool gets a 96 minute from Luis Diaz, which is an incredible story because both of his parents were kidnapped in Colombia oh. last week. Oh, in- yes. We had a hostage situation for his Colombian parents. His mom was returned. His dad is still not been returned. Um, so he gets the six, 96 minute winner on the road today to tie Luton Town. We did not talk about that last week. So this that is, is a uh, <laughs> yeah, that's that is absolutely wild. Um, Still no manager sackings. This is like one of the latest. I read an article no about manager sackings, the latest yeah. in the year where no one's no one's gone down. So that that part's been disappointed. I would like to see mass carnage on that front. Yeah, Sheffield got a win uh, at home against Wolves, which is a pretty big result for them. They were definitely on the look for potential firings there or sackings. Let's call them sackings. Okay. Um, Nottingham gets a huge win against a really hot Villa team. They were kind of on the edge of that conversation. Uh, but Bournemouth losing 6-1 to City probably isn't going to help you. And then, yeah, I don't know. One's going to be coming eventually. Shit, it might be United because, I mean, it's a total turmoil there with a partial new ownership. Maybe he's the one that's out. That would be a little ridiculous, but it's possible. Um, it's coming. You know, it, it is definitely coming. I just do not know which one it will be. We will make sure to be pre- more prepared for the fastest growing segment on American soil next week. I don't know why I've done this segment for a year and a half now. And I always take like 10 minutes to just go look through it. And today I just completely forgot. I was like watching the ending of the game again. I was like, Oh damn, it's go time. So uh, it's hard. It's hard because like if I'm out of town for this wedding deal, so like obviously like, I woke up for the United game and it was Eastern time. So it was actually a little bit later than usual, but when Ole Miss is playing at 11, which they haven't really done this season, like there's not a whole lot of time to watch some of these morning games because you kind of yeah. like to watch the game day and see it go into the Ole Miss game. And, uh, you know, I was traveling on Sundays. So we didn't really get to see those games. Usually I'm relatively prepared for this. Um, and honestly, Spurs play Chelsea tomorrow, which will be a massive game at 2 o'clock um, in terms of these standings and some, some more narratives. So we didn't get, you know, a pretty big matchup to talk about. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, we, we do our best here. We're not pros. <laughs> this has been the fastest growing segment on American soil. Hopefully the listeners don't sack us. We'll be better prepared next week. He is Walden Rodenberg. We got a big one to discuss, uh, next Sunday. I appreciate the time, dude. Yeah, no problem. Sounds good. All right. That's going to do it for our show today. Appreciate Weldon's time. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. Thanks for listening. As always, we got a big week ahead, tons of content coming your way. So be on the lookout for all that. Thanks for listening. As always, we'll talk to you here in a couple of days.